0: Well, good evening. How you doing tonight? Awesome. All right. Good. Good. I found out, and I and I guess I knew it, but it just didn't ever click with me. This little thing they stick in front of here, uh, this is a scary thought. They're recording all of my words. Um, and, as I understand, it's online. You know, you use your app, you go to this thing and uh, this class, and, um, and you can you can review it uh, or if you miss any of the classes. So I don't think they're labeled right because I'm always a lot slower than what the schedule says, so I think it had us last week um, doing what we're going to do this week, which is we're going to look at the spiritual discipline of right thinking or thinking biblically. So um, I tried to put up here my, my... Theology for this uh, for you. Not that there's any particular way, but in my thought, we've looked at intensely why we need spiritual disciplines, and the primary spiritual discipline being that Bible intake and everything that involves that. And make no bones about it. I was trying to exhort you and encourage you that wherever you were in this, to either become more consistent or become more serious or lengthen uh, the time because of the enormous importance it is in your walk with the Lord. Obviously, Bible intake in all of its parameters is for the purpose of transformation, that we will be transformed, that we're not conformed to this world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's Bible intake. That's that's the purpose. And, and when we do that, then we have the ability to have a biblical worldview, to think like God thinks because he's given us the word, to have the mind of Christ. And as the saying goes, as a man thinks, so he is. If we don't think right, we're, we're not going to do right. So it's it's directly related to be able to take the scriptures which we're meditating on day and night, that we're processing, that we're taking in, and then begin to screen our thinking through the grid of the word of God and part of that screening and part of that grid is then flows naturally into praying the word of God lots of people pray throughout the world but that doesn't mean those prayers get answered and there's a lot of Christians that pray that their prayers are foreign to the prayers that are in the Bible and the instruction we have in the Bible so you have to know how to pray if you want to be an effective prayer you can't do that if you don't know the scriptures, know what the Bible tells us about prayer. And prayer is one of those things that, as we'll get to hopefully later tonight and then complete that next week, prayer is one of those things that um, I think we all feel inept at. Um, you never come to the point where you you feel like you are the man or woman of prayer that God wants you to be. And we hear verses, we all know, uh convicting verses about prayer, like pray without what? Wow, I mean, now, does that scramble your brain or what? Pray without ceasing. Okay, pray what? How exactly do you do that? So we're going to talk about all that, but obviously praying and thinking, because did you ever try to stop thinking? I mean, whatever you do right now, I don't want anybody in here to think about a yellow submarine. What did everybody just think? Uh, You just thought about a yellow submarine. I I mean, you cannot not think And so training ourselves to think biblically and then pray biblically, they they all go together. Do you see that? So that's what we're looking at. That's the the purpose of tonight. So we're going to look at thinking biblically. Hopefully only take part of the evening on that. Stop me anyplace and ask me any questions. This isn't formal, even though it may seem that way. I picked this up in the lobby of our church this week. And it made me smile. And um, only because you have the context of the last two weeks would I even show this. Because for all I know, one of you made it. I don't know who made it. I'm sure their heart and their motive was right. And I can't say it's wrong. But it's a little handout. And this little handout, I suppose, fits in your Bible. Here's what it said at the top. How to spend seven minutes with God. Now, that's exactly what I talked to you about for the last two weeks. When your life is seven minutes a day with God, you're gonna have a seven day seven minute a day life with God. Here's here's what it says. Here's how you here's how you spend seven minutes with God. I spent nearly two hours trying to convince you that you need to spend a lot more than seven minutes with God and how to spend that seven minutes, but Here's what this, uh, whoever put this together says. Here's how you spend seven minutes with God. And I want you to think about it based on everything I've taught you. Start with a half a minute of prayer, asking God to prepare your heart. Just let that sink in for a minute. So let's talk to God for a half a minute. You have somebody you love? I mean, you really love? I'm sure you all do. I mean, can you imagine just walking up and having a half a minute conversation with them and then moving on? Anyhow, I've, 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 I'm I'm going to the extreme, but you get the point. And then it says, read your Bible for four minutes. Read the Word of the Living God for four minutes. Now, if you had a choice between praying for a half a minute and reading your Bible for four minutes, or not praying at all and not reading for four minutes, don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. But I'm just saying, if you want to walk with God, you're not going to do it praying for a half a minute, reading your Bible. For four minutes. If you read at pulpit speed, there. Let's just take this morning. Wasn't that a tremendous message this morning uh, from Daniel chapter seven? Pastor Farrell also taught you how to handle a narrative, how do you process a narrative? How do you how do you break down a, a narrative? Just it was a, a tremendous message. You, you got to go back and listen to it uh, again. But in that, how long would it take if you sat down and you read? Daniel chapter four. I mean, you'd be you'd be hard pressed. Probably at pulpit speed, it probably would take four. It probably take four minutes. Um, There there are many chapters. There are many narratives in the scripture. You wouldn't even be able to get through in four minutes. And this is saying take four minutes and read your Bible, and then it says take two and a half minutes and um, write down what it was that God spoke to you about, and uh, pray this way: adoration, confession thanksgiving and, and supplication. Okay, so great. Somebody somebody had a plan. I hope you see my point. If you want to walk with God, you're going to have to give more than seven minutes a day with God. That would probably be a great thing if you were doing that every morning and you had a break for lunch and while you were eating your sandwich you were going to sit in McDonald's or Starbucks or out in the, in the break shop and, and use that. Uh, but, but that can't be the main substance of your walk with God or you just you're just not going to survive so we're looking at um, Bible uh, intake and um, from there looking at thinking biblically look at first Peter uh, chapter 1 uh, if you would for a moment while you're turning there, I didn't put this in your handout. Uh, this always made me chuckle, but this was a quote from Albert Einstein. I guess you're all familiar with him. Um, pretty lofty thinker. And he said, Thinking is hard work. That's probably why so few people do it. And um, Anyhow, we are, we're, to, we're to have the mind of Christ. We're to, we're to think like, uh, like the Lord does. And uh, we're to prepare our minds as we go out into every day to do battle. We battle our own flesh from the moment we get up in the morning. And, of course, we we battle the world system that is set against us. And then, of course, we have uh, the devil and all of his entourage in high places all doing battle against God's people and God's name and, and God's church. And so we have to prepare for battle. That's why we spend some significant time alone with the Lord. And look what Peter says about it. Peter knew about that battle in verse 13 of the very first chapter of Peter. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. In other words, you prepare yourself for action. You know, your, your mind is something you can take control of and you can prepare it for action. You you learn to think right. You learn to identify quickly um, what the needed thoughts are for the moment. You learn to identify when you're thinking something that's not biblical. And you begin to train yourself in that way. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you were to open up the scriptures and see all of the places I have there in your handout, the, the scripture that I'm sure you're very familiar with, Second, I mean, uh, Philippians two five, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, the the same mind that Christ had, and that was a that was a humble mind. Uh, as you look through uh, Philippians chapter two, as he humbled himself and he didn't he didn't think highly of himself though it would be perfectly okay for him to think highly of himself because he is God but he thought it not robbery even though he was equal to God to come to this earth and to and to serve you and me and to serve us by dying on the cross even even the death of the cross it says there this is this is the mind of Christ and in thinking right about about life, and he his his whole desire was to please his heavenly Father. His whole fire, uh, desire was to bring glory, glory to God. That's so why in the garden, at the at the crucible of of the temptation, not my will be done, but what thy will be done. His his whole desire was to bring glory to Christ, and so that's the right mind. We can see the mind of the Son talking to the Father, and. John 17 in the high priestly prayer and, it's a, and it's, a, it's a beautiful thing and we need to learn from the scriptures how to think that way. We see in Philippians further, I have it there, four eight. Um, Paul is telling us how to think. Finally, brother, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are good of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be anything praiseworthy, think on or meditate on these things. This would be the mind of Christ. Perhaps some other scriptures that direct us very specifically about how we we are to think. Look, if you would, at Romans chapter 8. Just as we try to set all this before we go any further in the handout. Look at Romans 8. Romans 8, probably a a favorite chapter of many, starts out reminding us that we're not condemned. And this is coming off of Romans 7, where Paul says, you know, Paul is, is... has battled the flesh and he's lost and he's saying the things I should do I don't do the things I shouldn't do I do do oh wicked man that I am who will deliver me from this body of sin then he preaches the gospel to himself but he remembers Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin has left a crimson stain but he's white. He's washed it white as snow and, and, and Paul reminds himself of the gospel and he reminds us of that there in verse 8 and as he goes through there he talks about the spirit filled life the, the life of Christ that's in us that's lived out and look what he says in verse 5 for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who are according to the spirit the things of the spirit here's what I want you to notice Paul is saying here that a lost person sets their mind on certain things. And when you're born again from above, from above and you have the Spirit of Christ in you, you set your mind on things. And, and we're to be transformed. We used to set our mind on these things. These things still pull at us, but we now set our mind here. The word set, that whole idea is it's, it's active. It's something that, empowered by the Spirit, we can do. We have control over we can't just say, I don't have any control over my thoughts. Yes, you do. We all do, and, and we, can, we can set them. It goes on to say, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And you feel that war going on if you fight the war. You, you have a thought, and, and the thought is an evil thought, or the thought is a, is a lack of faith fault, which is evil. And, and, and when we have the scripture in us and, and we identify that we have that battle because we think wow I'm not, I'm not thinking right and I have to put off that wrong thought and set my mind on the right thought because as a man thinks in his heart eventually he will do he will do how we think is enormously important in God's spirit will enable us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Almost the same thing. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Therefore, if we have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your mind another translation perhaps you have one of those that says set your affections set your love the things you care about the things you treasure we're to, we're to be seeking the things that are above not the things on the earth and as we seek in order to seek them continuously we're going to have to set how we think so i got to seek the right things and in order to seek the right things I need to set my mind on the right things and so that's what Paul's saying here. I set my mind on the things above, not on the things on earth. How do I have the power to do that? By by the Spirit. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in and God. And so Christ is now your life. And the Spirit of Christ is in you. And you can continually seek the same things that God wants us to seek. We can seek Him. And we in order to do that are going to have to set our mind biblically on the things he want. Does that make sense? I, I, I mean I, I guess we all know that, but I think it's important that I, I set that down. Dr. MacArthur, you see that in your handout, says if you truly want to exercise self-control you have to start with controlling your own thoughts. And so I've made this hopefully pretty simple. Because it's a lot simpler to make a handout, and it's a lot simpler um, to preach a message than it is to live this. I I grant you that, but I wanted to make it simple so that it's one of those things you can internalize, and you have the the tools then to do do battle. So the first thing I guess I would say that we have to recognize is that I have a belief system, and thus I have a certain way um, that I think. And... Honestly, most of the time, we have lots of things that we think, and a lot of things that we believe that are not biblical, and so that's why we are continually um, absorbing ourselves with Scripture, saturating ourselves with Scripture, and and that's why the first two weeks are so critical. Because as I saturate myself with Scripture, then I can begin to have the mind of Christ, and I can begin to think that way. And so, it's of extreme importance. We've we've talked about it over and over again, but when you talk about Bible um, intake over and over again, the Scripture talks about meditating, considering, um, you know, the whole idea of chewing on the word and and making the word part of your life, so that as you talk, a biblical theology just comes out. It just comes out of you. It comes out naturally. If you're consumed with something, if you're consumed with a young man, if you're consumed with a young girl, if you're consumed with the New York Yankees, if you're consumed, I don't care what, it- if you happen to be silly enough to be consumed with the Cleveland Indians, <laughs> oh wait a minute, it's Cleveland, it's not the Indians anymore. If you happen to be consumed with Cleveland, then, then in, in your conversation that will just come out. Now, now don't get me wrong, I don't think there's anything wrong with Christy and I having some fun in the office about whether the Yankees won this week or whether Cleveland did. But I thank God that this woman and her husband, when you talk to them, you have talked to them, most of their life isn't built around the Cleveland Indians; It's built around Jesus Christ and it just comes out. Because you can't get them to stop talking about the Lord, about his word, about what God is doing with you. You can't shut them up. May I say that's the way we ought to all be? Somebody can't. God, uh, you open your mouth and out comes God. Can I hear an amen? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the way it should be. But it won't be that way if we're not consumed with Scripture. If if it doesn't, if it isn't saturated with us. But when we're when we're saturated with it, it will come out and we'll think that way. So we then need to acknowledge. That's what's supposed to happen. And number two, that we can control our thoughts as commanded. We have been commanded to control our thoughts. I put in there for you 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, to the casting down of arguments, and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity of obedience to Christ. And so part of that is I have to be able to recognize, is my thinking biblical? And then secondly, I need it empowered by prayer. I'll talk more about it later, but this is an excellent book by Don Whitney, Praying the Bible. But it's all connected as I... As, I, as a thought comes in, I need to be able to look and say, wait a minute, that's not biblical, and, and I need to put it out, but I can't just put it out. If I sweep the room and I don't replace it, seven devils, the word says, comes in and replaces that one thought. It, it gets worse. I have, to, I have to take it off, but I have to immediately put something in. So I look at my lack of faith or whatever it is that I'm thinking is wrong, I identify it, I acknowledge it, and then I ask the Spirit to help me, and then I set my mind and I replace it with God's thought. How do I know what God's thought is? It's his what? His word. And I can't do that if I don't have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, if I don't have it memorized, if I don't have it meditated. So... I have to take that in and to do that that's going to take some time and you do that consistently day after day year after year God will make you a warrior for him um, because you build a reservoir over time and and those are spiritual weapons that the spirit of God can take as you do battle in your mind because as you think correctly then you're able to do correctly and so, you see the handout there. Because of time, I'm not going to go through all of it. But three of my favorite verses when it comes to the importance of meditating. And so we've gone over this before, I believe, in Bible intake. But they're in Joshua and the Psalm two and three and Isaiah six. Three, it talks about meditating or setting your mind purposely uh, on Christ this book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night you don't just meditate for any reason you, you meditate the same reason that we take in the Bible we, we do that that we might observe or we might obey everything that God says and and as I do that God says he'll prosper you well, that doesn't mean it's going to make you rich. Don't, you know, it's it's disgusting how these verses are twisted. It's got nothing to do with wealth. Here's what here's what being rich is: being rich in grace, knowing what God said, and then being able to walk in the truth. You are a rich person if you know what God says and you walk in the truth, and 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 you'll prosper and you'll have good success and you won't you won't need to be afraid. And when fear comes, you'll know how to cast it down and put the put the truth in same thing in in Psalm 1 you know the first verse of of Psalm 1 is talking about you know don't stand don't sit don't linger with bad influences what's a bad influence doing it's it's taking and it's going to dilute the word it's going to dilute the word and cause you to think wrong and, and so rather than doing that, it says, do this. It says, this book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, but meditate therein day and night. Do you notice that both in Joshua and in psalm it says day and night? It would be good for you to, before you go off to sleep at night, just to have a verse of scripture that you're thinking about, that you're praying about. It's a wonderful thing to wake up first thing in the morning and, and have God's Word and a prayer to Him on your lips. And, and, and that's something you can train yourself to do. And um, it's, it, it, it's a wonderful thing. Um, it, it'll give you um, a transformed life. And it says here that if you'll delight in the law of the Lord and you meditate in His law day and night, look at the picture, how vivid it is. It's a picture. Israel's in desert land and there's oases and there's places where there's wonderful water but it's few and it's far between and it can be very, very barren. It's a very, very difficult, rugged place and this is a picture of the fact that no matter how rugged and no no matter how barren and how hot things are, If there is a tree at an oasis, and that tree is planted by a fresh spring of water, it doesn't matter if everything else all around Israel, because there's a great drought, is dead. That tree is prospering because its roots go down into that spring of water. And this is exactly the illustration. And that spring of water, of course, is is the living well that never runs dry. It's Jesus Christ and his word. And so as we're plugged into that word and we're drinking in that word continuously day and night, it doesn't matter what kind of heat comes our way. Life is tough. You haven't figured that out. I'm looking here and, and I could single a few of you out. If I singled a few of you out and stuck you over here in the corner, the average age of the rest of you would be about 21, 22 you all think life is hard. You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm, I'm sure that's not a lot of encouragement. Um, you need this because if you will set your mind for battle, if you will prepare yourself for battle, I don't care what comes at you, you can have roots that go down, and having done all, you'll still stand for the glory of Christ. You won't deny him at that moment. You live for him and you'll bring him glory and, and you'll point others to him. You'll be like a bright shining star. You'll be like the, the light on the hill. But you also can be somebody that just burns in the dust and, and your testimony is ruined. And people think I thought they were a believer. And you may still be. I'm not saying you're a believer or not, but I'm saying that life is that tough. And you want to be somebody that's got your roots planted. And you do that by taking in his word and meditating day and night because that helps you to think right. So look at the second page. This is a dumb illustration, but I think it's, it's about as, as good as I can find what happens. Our mind is like a, a record. You know what a record is, right? Even though you're all very young... You know what it's like when a scratch gets in a record? Any of you even know what that is? You know, go, on unga on unga. And when it just first starts, if you hit the turntable, it'll bounce over. But after it goes around enough times, it'll dig in the records. The record's ruined. Aren't we glad we don't do records anymore? Um, but that's what happens in our mind. Things happen to our lives, and they're in our mind. and in god wants to take his word and the power of his spirit he wants to restore your mind he wants to give you the mind of christ he wants to rebuild your life faith by faith you're a new creation in christ and you have to begin to think right you have to begin to set your mind on things above and so how we think we we get into a habit we have different triggers different experiences different things and it triggers us and we we start thinking in that rut again Everybody here knows what I'm talking about. You got some kind of a rut that it only takes this one thing and it triggers it, and, and as soon as it does, uh, your, your temptation is to go around and around in that rut, and after a while, that rut only goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's always in the wrong direction. Yes, yes. I mean, it's it, it's it's the way it is, and and so we have to understand that because the opposite can be true. We can train ourselves the opposite. So you you, you get a thought. And, and right away, if we learn to take that thought, screen it through the Word of God, and if it's not biblical, cast it down and replace it, then it, it doesn't build that groove. And we can think of a good thought, and we'll build that good groove. Because whatever we think on, it, it becomes a, a meditative thought. I think about it again, a second time, and a third time. And, and that thought will eventually lead to some kind of a decision. And, and as I make that decision, I start taking an action, and then pretty soon there's a continual action, and then it's a habit and an attitude, and I'm right back around to thought again, and and uh, that can be towards evil, or that can be towards good. Somebody wrote this. I, I don't know who to give credit to. You've probably heard it before. Watch your thoughts; they become your words. Watch your words; they become your actions. Watch your actions; they become a habit. Watch your habits. They become your character. Watch your character becomes your life. It's just so critical what we think about, and we need to get into the good habits of right thinking and identify where we're in a habit of wrong thinking and let somebody help us take and replace that habit with truth and begin to develop the strength of thinking right in that particular area. Look, we can all... We can all change. The Holy Spirit is within us. The the word is totally sufficient. It's quick. That means it's uh it's live, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two edged sword. It can go down and it can get all of that 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 flesh and it can cut it out and you can replace it with the life of the spirit. So I don't have this in your outline, but here's here's three things. It's it's basically what I got written down there about the disciplines, but just maybe next to it, write this. So we, we have to, when we recognize that we have a wrong thought, we have to renew our mind. Okay, wait, I'm thinking wrong. Something has triggered me to think wrong. I've got to, I, I immediately need to stop, and I need to renew my mind, and I need to redirect my thoughts. And you stop thinking about it now. The quicker you stop thinking about what you shouldn't be thinking, the better off you'll be, and so you, you you learn to be as instantaneously as as possible on that. You you identify unbiblical thinking, and then you you set your mind on biblical thinking, and and then you reorder your life, A- and that's the process. And, you, and And you learn to do that over and over again. And um, Proverbs four twenty, you no, know, is it four? Yes, four twenty three. Out of the heart flows the issues of life. We have to guard our hearts. And and there are things in life, commonly called triggers, that that when we when we see them, when we hear them, when we experience them, they head us in the wrong direction. And we need to identify those things. We need we need to eliminate them wherever we can. We need to be simple towards evil. Uh, the Bible uh, tells us. And, and we need to we need to train ourselves uh, when I lack faith and when I'm thinking wrong, uh, confess that immediately and then replace it, replace it with the truth, and then reorder your life in in a different fashion. And there's all kinds of that's what discipleship is. That's what counseling is. Biblical counseling and discipleship is getting with somebody who helps you to be able to identify where you're thinking wrong. Identify why are you thinking, what what are the things that's causing that, what's down underneath, and then taking and putting that wrong thinking off, confessing that, that's called repentance, right? I take and I repent, I confess that, and then by faith I put on right thinking. I put on that which is true, that which is lovely, that which is a good report, that which is praiseworthy, that which is setting my mind on things above. I put on the mind of Christ, and I put off the mind of the flesh. And and I go through that process over and over again. Dr. Hager would um, give you a, a practicum, he would, he would call it, and he'd, he'd give you a piece of paper if you were struggling in some area, and he'd say, every time... You start having repetitive sinful thoughts. Write them out. What what is the sinful thoughts? And then what would be the biblical replacement thought? Identify. What is it that you're thinking sinfully about? Exactly what it is. Identify it. It's hard to remove something that's fuzzy. What is it that's wrong here biblically? Write it down. Then what would be the right way to think about that? Biblically. Then you write that down. And then you reinforce that. By meditating day and night in the scripture that's appropriate for that. Does that make sense? And and, and you do that over and over again with some accountability. And, and you'll begin to be able to reorder your life. And you'll begin to take and pray those truths. I included this article in a separate sheet. Take every thought captive. read that at your leisure, but it might be helpful. Okay, so, I really blew through that in a hurry. Questions, thoughts, comments? Yes, ma'am. Could you maybe give us like a practical example, or just like, like as soon as you have that thought? Like I don't know, just thinking like practical. Sure, let me try. Um You knew you were going to ask me the question. I didn't know you were going to ask it, so I'm trying to think here. All right, so um, somebody walks in the room. I'm taking this back to uh, what I preached this morning. I preached from Romans 15.7. And Romans 15.7 says that we are to accept one another. And we're to accept one another because Jesus Christ has accepted us for the glory of God and it's a command it's one of the one another commands that we have and the person that walks through the door into the room well, I don't like them Uh, I don't like the way they look I don't like the way they smell I don't like the way they dress. I don't like the way they carry themselves. I don't like whatever, fill in the blank, but I I just don't like them. Has anybody here ever had anybody walk into a room you were and when the person walked in the room you didn't like them? Don't raise your hands. (laughs) Sin's common to all men. We would all do this. Of course we have. So when I have that thought, if I'm walking with Christ, the first thing that should happen to me is conviction. That person is made in the image of God, and I don't like them. I've been called by God. There are probably ten love one another's in the New Testament, and um, part of loving one another is to accept one another. And so what I would do immediately, what I should do (laughs) immediately, okay, I'm I'm in process like everybody in this room, is to repent. I, I recognize that thought is wrong. So I take that thought, I cast that thought down, and I think of this, this verse, I am to accept one another the way Christ accepted me for the glory of God. How did Christ accept me? While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. That would be me. And Christ came to me. I didn't go to him. I couldn't get to him if he didn't come to me. And so I put that thought in my mind, and then I put feet to the action, and then I go to Him. feelings are I don't like and I, I receive them and think like them. I agree maybe I'm not ready the first time to agree with a holy kiss but I, I agree I, I step in that, right, in that direction so that would be an example does that make sense? so that's what I do but I, first of all I have to understand when I'm thinking that thought, that thought's unbiblical if I think it's just okay I pick and choose who I like and who I don't like we're all part of the same body. We're members one of another of the body of Christ and he's the head and there should be no such thing in the body of Christ that we don't like each other. And that's a hard one. But that's what God's word says. So I need to identify that, cast that down, put the truth in and then as I pray that, then I can begin to pray that which is the next section we're going to, pray. And I begin to pray. So Lord, show me how I can accept this brother or this sister in christ show me how i can i can love this brother and sister in christ and 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 as i do that i'm being obedient and you all know this when you're being disobedient and sinful does it feel good sin is pleasurable for a very very short season and pretty soon you feel about as crummy as can be don't you but wow when you do the will of God, so often when you first do it it doesn't feel good at all because you're doing it by faith. But when you do it by faith, what comes later? I mean, you walk out of the building that day going glory to God. Glory to God. He did in me what I couldn't possibly do for myself. And and that person could potentially become one of your best friends. I mean, who who knows? So there there would be there would be an example. Great question somebody else so then you see this moves right to prayer so you've got bible intake it's hard to separate them obviously prayer i would count as being part of what you do in your time alone with god uh, it's it, it's all connected together but prayer for the for the purpose of godliness I put there in your handout this essential spiritual discipline in my experience is also the most difficult to maintain the most difficult to maintain so I I don't for a second want to stand here in front of you and say to you I've got this prayer life mastered because God would know I'm a liar I want to continually grow in prayer it is tough. It is something that you take two steps forward and you fall back, but it's, it's something that is essential. So many of R.C. um lectures. Um, do you watch any of him on YouTube? Any, uh, I mean, he, he's, he's really neat. He can learn a lot about being a teacher he'll walk in and he'll say to his students I'm going to do today what the students hate but I can't help it. I have day, everybody take out a sheet of paper and I'm going to have you write and everybody's going, ah, the pop quiz who wants a pop quiz and, um, and so you know that's probably how I would love to start this class but I'm not going to because it's not that kind of a class I'd love you to all take out a sheet of paper and in a very short paragraph write down, describe your prayer life And then, what I hope, is when we get through next week, I could ask you, describe to me what you want your prayer life to look like. And what are the steps you're gonna to take to head in that direction? Uh, because I, I gotta believe that no matter where you are, there's, there's room for growth. Uh, I said to Judy, I, I don't even know how many times I've, I've taught these classes in one fashion or another and uh, do you know it always helps me? But you recognize that that somewhere around ten weeks ago, I knew I would be standing in front of a group of people talking about my Bible intake. I knew I would be standing in front of people talking about thinking biblically. I knew I would be standing in front of people talking about their prayer life. And forget what you would hear. Who else is hearing every single word I say? and he knows every single thing about my life. A God in heaven that I'm going to give an account for, double account for. And so just the fact that I get the privilege to do this helps me. Um, I always take a step forward because we all want to be people of integrity, uh, right? And uh, so that's why I say this to start. It's it's something where we all, we all need to, to grow in. And so... We want to look at prayer. And so the first thing I wanted to do is just set, you know, do we really see prayer as being essential? I mean, I've, if if I sat down with any of you, there's no person in here that if I said to you, do you think prayer is essential? Every single one of you would say, of, God, of course. That's a Sunday school answer. Of course it is. But do you think it's essential like men and women down through the ages have thought it was essential? When when I read these Um, different things about people and their prayer life. It's very, very convicting uh, to me. And so I just took a sampling. Here's just a sampling, and I want you to look at it so it can reset our mind that we're not looking at one another, but we look back and we see how do other people view prayer. This is um, Luther, and I doubt probably that if you know much about Luther that you would be thinking so much about his prayer life as you would be about the 95 thesis he nailed on the wall and the just shall live by faith and all of that is true but he was an amazing man of prayer and he wrote this the Clarington call of the Reformation was the just shall live by faith faith is in Martin Luther's judgment prayer and nothing but prayer He who does not pray or call upon God in his hour of need assuredly does not think of him as God, nor does he give him the honor that is due his name. He further wrote, We know that our defense lies in prayer alone. We are too weak to resist the devil and his vassals. Let us hold fast to the weapons of Christian prayer. Our enemies may mock at us, But we shall oppose both men and the devil if we maintain ourselves in prayer, if we persist in it. For we know when a Christian prays in this way, Dear Father, your will be done, God replies to him, Dear child, yes, it shall be done in spite of the devil and the whole world. I assume that none of us here have any idea of the persecution that this man is facing when he writes this and 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 he's saying here it is absolutely essential it is so essential i can't even remove it from my faith because the fact that i do have faith and that it's a it's a transcendent faith where i'm in christ that faith makes me pray and makes me realize I cannot live without prayer. Those are pretty heavy words that he's saying there. Ravenhill, no man is greater than his prayer life. Poverty-stricken as the church is today in many ways, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers but few agonizers, many players but few prayers. The ministry of preaching is open to a few, But the ministry of prayer, the mightiest ministry of all human offices, is open to all. Bunyan. Here's two Bunyan quotes I love on prayer. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, a scourge for Satan. Ian Murray. However great the darkness, we may pray with faith, with thanksgiving, and with expectation, knowing that our unworthiness is no obstacle to a divine and almighty Savior. I love that, our unworthiness. Sometimes we don't pray because we think God doesn't want to be bothered or God wouldn't, wouldn't want to answer my prayers. We, we, we just, we're not thinking biblically. We haven't looked at the scripture. We're not thinking biblically when that thought comes. So that would be another example. We've probably had those times. I'm uh, I'm facing something and I'm thinking, I'm unworthy to talk to God about this. Well, that's wrong. I take that out and I, I think biblically. What's biblically? What's a biblical thought? He's my heavenly father. Because he's my heavenly father and I've been born again from above, one of the most beautiful expressions of genuine salvation is adoption the seven and a half billion people on the face of the earth and god looked around from eternity fast and he adopted me into his family and trust me there was nothing in me that would make him desire me over anybody else but he adopted me into his family and became my heavenly father and therefore i can cry abba father And in that, Abba, Father, I never have to fear coming to him ever about anything. And I can come to him boldly. I can come boldly to the throne of grace. And I can obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, therefore, I know I can cast all my cares upon him because he cares upon me. And I recite those truths. I remind myself that Jesus said a sparrow can't fall from the sky without the heavenly father knowing it. and you are of much more value than a sparrow this is why i know i can pray and then no matter how i feel i start praying that's another application of thinking right and and praying tory said prayer that is born of meditation upon the word of god and that sword's upward most easily to God's listening ears John MacArthur prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of the omnipotent God or of omnipotence God sees God likes to see as people shut up to this that there is no hope but in prayer herein lies the church's power against the world Chadwick, the greatest answer to prayer is more prayer. And so we we see what other people think about the uh, essence of prayer that lived in a much more difficult time and that faced things much different than us. Jesus, of course, is our perfect, perfect God-Man, perfect pattern for prayer. Perhaps my favorite um, verse on uh, prayer. When it comes to the Lord Jesus, is Mark 135 I put it down there for you. If you if you look at what he was uh, facing uh, during that time, um, this just is amazing to me. And if you don't like early in the morning, this verse will convict you. Um, Look what it says: in the early morning, while it was still dark. I'm not sure if it was daylight savings time or not. I don't. I don't guess they'd invented that yet back then. but it was still dark. Jesus got up and he left the house and he went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And it's sort of funny because it goes on to say that he was praying there and his disciples noticed he was missing and went and found him. I've always sort of wondered what that would be like to bust up a conversation between Jesus and his Heavenly Father, but uh, the disciples managed to do that. And uh, he, was, he was gracious to them. In Luke eleven one it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him Lord, teach us to pray and I think the thing that has struck many, many people myself included down through the years when you read that is that here are the disciples and they walked with the Lord for about three years three and a half and and you think of all the things that you would think that they might say Lord, teach me how to do miracles. Uh, Lord, teach me how to heal people. Uh, You know, Lord, teach me how to teach. But the one thing that they were struck with was his prayer life. Lord, teach me to pray. And, of course, as you know, he gave us uh, the model prayer. Jesus expects us to pray as his disciples. Look at Matthew chapter 6. I'm sure that you're all very familiar with Matthew with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 but just it's good to cast your eyes over it as we as we enter into this look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5 this is the Lord speaking he says when you pray Notice it says when you pray. There's an assumption here that of course you pray. And um, he goes on and he repeats that again. Look at verse 6. But you, when you pray, now he gets a little bit more specific, go into the inner room and close the door and pray to your Father which is in secret. Look at verse 7. And when you are praying, You notice the pattern there? Look at verse 9. Pray then in this way. Uh, Here's the point I'm trying to make, a simple point. Jesus expects us to pray. He expects his disciples to pray. He he can't imagine life without prayer to his heavenly father and his disciples. If you're going to have the mind of Christ, you're you're going to live uh, a life of prayer. If you were to look at an overview of Jesus' life, I won't take the time. The scriptures are there if you want to go through it. But you will see that the scriptures are very clear. At the beginning of his ministry, um, he was praying. And in fact, at the beginning of his ministry, he, he goes and he faces the temptation. And he actually fasts and prays for 40 days. And then he faces the devil. And, of course, you're familiar with that. He always takes, and in facing the devil, after he has prayed for and fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights, he says to the devil over and over again, with every temptation, every single temptation attacks first his intellect. All of our temptations attack our intellect first. And Jesus says in those passages, man shall not live by what? bread alone but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's Bible intake. And he takes every single thing that the devil throws at him and he does exactly what you just asked me about. He takes that thought and he says that thought's not biblical. And he casts that thought out and he replaces it with a biblical truth and then he speaks that biblical truth to the Satan. And that's wielding the sword of the spirit and he has victory he does that over and over again Satan comes with an untruth Jesus recognizes that as the untruth takes that untruth doesn't receive it and he speaks the truth untruth, recognize it cast it out, speak the truth live live in victory and so he he starts the beginning of his ministry. You'll see it at the midpoint of his ministry. You'll see it at every major decision in his ministry. He's the God-man, and yet before he chose his twelve disciples, he went and got alone with the Lord to get wisdom from above as to who to choose. You'll see it at the close of his ministry. You'll see it as he's agonizing they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and then actually hanging on the cross over and over again. You see he is in prayer. And here's what's really neat. If you go to First John, he's our advocate. You see that he's currently in heaven right now. What's he doing right now? He's praying. And here's what's really exciting. Who's he praying for? You and me. You and me. He's praying for us that we might get the essentials of what's being heard when the word is preached and that we might live it live it out he's our he's our advocate robert murray mcshane said this i love this if i could hear christ praying for me in the next room i would not be i would not fear a million enemies yet the distance makes no difference he is praying for me I don't have to fear praying for him because he's praying for me and so prayer is expected of a disciple uh, you know that but I wanted to reinforce it prayer is a discipline that disciples are called to be devoted to so it's not just something casual there's, there's a devotion there prayer is the acid test of devotion in the new testament at least five times the wor- the word that is often translated d- devoted now it's translated different ways but it still has that same idea of of being devoted deals with prayer devoted means you know constant continuous steadfast faithful persistent dedicated fully committed that's that's what that idea is in prayer and so it's not only that we're just to pray but we're to pray being devoted to prayer so that's the point I'm trying to make here, that we understand it before we start talking about exactly how do we pray. So we're, we're, to be, we're to be praying. We're committed to it because it's expected. As we go through life, we pray. But more than committed to it, there's to be a devotion to it. Uh, there's, there's a love, there's a hunger for it. I have to have it. I can't live without it. There's this devotedness to prayer. And, and I put down the, the many verses that, that says that. These, all with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Uh, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The the early church there in Acts. The the, the elders, as they were gathered together, um, there in Acts 6, 4, doesn't actually use the word deacon, but that's where... In all that prayer, they de- decided they needed to set aside some people to take care of the widows. And you might remember that passage. And in the, in, in the elders said, it's important to take care of the widows. It's important to take care of ministry. But it's not more important than prayer. And so they, they said to themselves, We're, we've got to figure something out because this is taking me, this thing that is very important is taking away from what is essential wow do we have that view of, of prayer this is a side note advertisement do you have that view of your pastor that there are times that your pastor may need to say no to respond into ministry so that he can spend time in the word and prayer that that's God's calling on his life and that it's that essential and, and that's what it says there next we but we will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word In Romans 12, Paul says that we are to be devoted to prayer. And, of course, Colossians 4.2, Paul again is saying, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in this with an attitude of thanksgiving. So being devoted in prayer means it has to be our first priority. Uh, It means it's something that we're doing continuously. It's a steadfastness in our prayer life. Uh, It it means that we understand it's a divine summons. It's a a command. It's something that we can't live without. I'm going to finish up after going through this next point um, because I know the time is up. Um, But we're to be devoted to prayer, and in that devotion then if you take another words that are translated um, usually always pray or pray always or continue pray, You'll see over and over again that we're, we're called to pray about everything. There's nothing too small to pray about, nothing too big, nothing too odd, nothing too nothing too uh, little. And uh, we see the parable in Luke eighteen one. Uh, then he spoke this parable to them that men ought always to pray or always ought to pray. And the point of the of the parable is that we are to endure into. Persist in prayer, because we've been called to pray, and because we're devoted to pray, we're to always pray. And that means that sometimes we're going to have to be persistent. Sometimes we're going to have to—you've heard the word "pray through." Uh, sometimes you, you you pray and it doesn't seem like you're getting an answer. You don't you don't give up. You're uh, you, you're devoted to it to the sense that you continue to pray. You keep asking. You keep seeking. You keep knocking. And you trust God in the in, in the timing of it, and um, and as you do that, you you'll find that the Spirit of God will help you not to lose heart. It's only when we end up quitting praying, we stop praying, we give up, we throw in the towel, so to speak. That's when the that's when the discouragement comes. We're we're always to pray about everything. Put a whole bunch of verses down there. Continue steadf- steadfast in prayer, praying always with all prayer and supplication and you see the rest of the verses so we're called to pray Jesus expects us to pray that prayer is to be devoted and it's, that prayer is to be about everything and so that's sort of the summation and so now what we're going to do when we come back next week bring this hand out and, and think about your prayer life and, and next week let's just talk through praying how, how, do, how do we pray Bring your questions, and uh, I'll try to be as practical as I can um, about my own particular prayer life, my own particular habits, the things that I have learned uh, through the years, things I've done wrong through the years. And so, um, Lord, I pray that uh, you'll help us this week as we go out into the world to prepare our minds for battle. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to meditate day and night, and to think biblically and to pray biblically and to be um, a testimony of your grace to all that would come in contact with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.